Hello, I'm John Deeks and welcome to the Your Life Choices podcast. Well, I think it's pretty true to say that kids find it hard to think of their parents having sex, let alone their grandparents. But what about aged care providers? Do they find it difficult to accept that aged care residents may want to have a physical relationship? Well, to find out more, today we're at the Australian Centre for Evidence-Based Aged Care at La Trobe University, taking a look at a study into sexuality and sexual health in later life. This groundbreaking study was conducted by a team at La Trobe University, including Dr Linda McAuliffe and Professor Deirdre Featherston-Hall, who both join me today. Linda, you're never too old, are you? That's right, John. You're never too old. Our sexuality is important to us no matter how old we are and is an important part of our well-being. Professor Featherston-Hall, who came up with the idea for the study? It's been part of an ongoing set of research studies that we've done over probably the last 20-odd years. And the reason that we looked at this particular issue is around the interventions that residential aged care staff might have where someone is having an intimate relationship with someone else in a residential care facility and when they might um, intervene accordingly. And so that's what the basis of this study was. And Linda will be able to talk to you through about what we found when we actually did send out surveys to every aged care facility in Australia and asked them a series of questions related to a scenario. Linda, how many aged care facilities were surveyed? It was almost 3,000 and it was during uh, the time of COVID, so we were lucky to get as many responses back as we did. We knew that the ability to enjoy intimacy and express sexuality is often compromised in residential aged care or even controlled, and we wanted to find out what factors influence staff decisions to intervene in resident relationships. Your Life Choices recently published a story about a couple in aged care who were in a facility and they formed a close bond. They did not know each other before they went in there, but they asked if their beds might be moved into the same room. It was fine by the aged care facility, but the children, once they found out, were horrified. What's your take on this? This is all very interesting because most of us, I mean, death and sex are the two things that we don't talk very much about. And as far as if you talk about your own sexual life, you don't often discuss that with your children, whether they're older children, your parents, your brothers and sisters. So it's interesting then when someone moves into residential aged care that the family then sort of intervene and butt in and sort of talk about what people can and can't do. It is sort of very interesting that the aged care facility was supporting what these people wanted to do, but the family went no. Of course, there is the issue around consent. That is the major thing, really, in aged care, to make sure that anyone who is having a relationship are consenting to that relationship. And that's, I think, where it sometimes gets a little bit murky in aged care. Linda, can you give me an example about uh, questions you asked in the survey? Well, interestingly, uh, similar to the story you, you just uh, spoke of, our survey included a fictionalised case study of two residents, Norm and Carol, who form a mutually satisfying relationship in residential aged care, consisting largely of sitting together and holding hands. And in the case study, Norm had mild cognitive impairment and Carol had no cognitive impairment. And we wanted to know, we, we asked staff how likely they would be to intervene in that relationship as described. And we found that only 10% said that they would intervene. So that was really encouraging. How have they intervened? Well, we have heard over the years of people being separated, you know, people being moved to other parts of the facility, bringing the family in and talking to the family about what was going on. 90% of people would support that relationship and wouldn't intervene. But then, as Linda will talk about in a minute, we changed some things in the scenario and then asked them again, would they intervene? So we found that when we changed the level of cognitive impairment or how much the family was involved or the nature of the intimacy, so more physical contact, we found that these factors made staff more likely to intervene. So the, the most influential factor was whether Norm was exhibiting distress. So 89% 
of staff said that they would intervene if Norm was showing some signs of distress. Uh, and the next uh, influential factor was whether Norm was married and had a wife living in the community, with 40% of staff saying that they would intervene if that was the case. Linda, is there a, a standard procedure in all aged care facilities, or if not, does there need to be? No, John, at the moment there isn't a standard policy on sexuality or sexual health in residential aged care. We sent out a survey in 2018 and we found that less than a quarter had a policy on sexuality and only 13% a policy on sexual health. So most often facilities have a general rights and privacy policy, but nothing specific. The families, Deidre, how do you work on that? Well, another resource that we've actually developed is a consumer booklet around dementia and sexuality because I think people don't often know the impact that having cognitive impairment might have on people's, you know, desire for intimacy and uh, sexuality. So it's, it is around educating the families and staff. Linda will talk to you a bit because we've also done um, some surveys looking at how much education staff have generally had. I mean, they might have, you know, education about pain or dementia, but whether they actually have any education around sexuality and intimacy with older people. So, Linda, I don't know whether you want to talk about the education needs of, of staff. Yeah, sure. We know that staff need education regarding sexuality and sexual health and ageing in general, but we also know that they need education regarding sexuality and dementia so that they can have a context for behaviours that um, might be misinterpreted as problem behaviours but are actually just symptomatic of the underlying dementia. 40% of staff reported that they had received education around sexuality and older adults in the, the two years prior to the, the survey. But equally, another 40% said that they'd never had any education in the area. And when we had a look at the education contained, it was little on sexual health or assessment. Professor, you mentioned the booklet Sexuality and People in Residential Aged Care Facilities, a guide for partners and families. It's a wonderful, well-researched resource. And if you're interested in getting a copy, we'll tell you how a bit later in the podcast. Now, Deidre, I'm wondering if others are doing similar research around the world. There's not that many people around the world that actually do research in this area. In fact, we sort of know quite a lot of the people that are. But with our research, what we tend to do is sort of empirical research, you know, do the surveys like what Linda conducted, and then we publish. But we also try and make consumer resources as well so that it's a little bit more applied so that we can actually see something that might help people in practice. As we talked about before around family involvement, but often it's because they're frightened. They don't know what's going on. Whereas I think Something like this consumer booklet can sort of allay their fears, I think, and give them a bit more understanding, especially around dementia and um, expression of sexuality. Sexual health, Linda. We know that in the last decade there's been a dramatic increase in STIs in older adults. So that, that further you know, supports our argument that there needs to be education around sexual health for both people working in residential aged care and for residents themselves and education about safe sex practices as well. What were some of the biggest surprises you got from that first mail out when the results came back in? Deidre was, or Linda, was there anything that really kind of like you went, wow, wasn't expecting that? No, well, I think the, the, the fact that 90% of people um, wouldn't intervene, that was a little bit, I thought that more people would, would intervene because, I mean, people have their own sexual mores and, and values around things. And we thought, I wonder how much this is going to influence whether they intervened. But it was encouraging to know that the most, the biggest thing, that the factor that would um, influence whether people would intervene was with if Norm was distressed. So distress was something that, you know, and that's 
fabulous. And that was really good. I actually did think that the family would come up a bit more. People would intervene if the family was, you know, arcing up about what was going on. I actually thought that it might be more because over the years, we've had lots of inquiries from aged care services who've had something's happening around a relationship and they don't know what to do. And they want to make sure that they've done everything possible to hopefully support the couple, you know, whether they're same sex or not, whatever. So it's around what guidance they have. And as what Linda was talking about before, the lack of policy in aged care, which not policy usually guides practice. And, you know, the work that Linda's done twice now, we've sent out asking, you know, with intervening years, asking about whether or not facilities have policies on sexuality. And most of them might have something around privacy, but not, I mean, it's interesting, like, you know, I, I close my door and I can lock my door, but can people in aged care actually do that? Yeah, there, there are those sorts of sort of things of whether the environment's actually conducive. And like you were talking about earlier, John, about the couple that wanted to move the beds together. I mean, several, you know, facilities do have double rooms for couples, but not all of them do. It's not always conducive to the expression of sexuality by older people. Something we haven't talked about, and that is same-sex relationships within aged care. Well, John, all of our research is around older people, all older people, and their expression of intimacy and sexuality. I mean, it just happens that the scenario that we used in here was a Norman and Carol, so it was a heterosexual calm couple, but it would easily apply to same sex. And Linda and I intend to do some more research in this area. Residential aged care facilities can have a rainbow tick, which means that the facility is LGBTIQ friendly. So that's another thing to aspire for residential aged care facilities. But, you know, watch this space. Linda and I will be doing some more research in this area. Your Life Choices is very conscious of ageism. How does it relate to sexuality? I think sexuality in, in later life is something that's really seen or discussed. So if you have a think about the billboards that you see or ads, they're typically of younger people. And when sexuality in later life is seen, it's usually, you know, like a, a birthday joke card or a, a meme. This really does nothing to to stop the myths and stereotypes that dominate that older people are asexual or that they're undesirable or that they're not interested in sex, which is simply not true for many older people. And it's partly due to the narrow definition of sex too. So assuming that sex refers only to partnered sex and intercourse and overlooking the importance of physical and emotional intimacy as well. I mean, even like the representation of older bodies. I mean, when sex is being um, sold on a billboard, it's a young man or a young woman in the prime of their life, so-called. They look gorgeous, but not many of us actually look like that. And you're going to say that nobody who doesn't look like that has sex. I don't think that's the truth. So, yes, it is how, you know, sexuality is represented and it's not represented much around older people. Deirdre, you quite often go and speak to groups. What do you ask and what do you find out? Well, we ask a, a series of questions around, you know, how, what people think about sexuality in older people. And we often try and look in the research as far as trying to find out if you use the word incidence of sexual expression of older people. And it's actually very hard to get to the guts of it because it's not actually often explored. But when we want to talk about sexuality and the expression of intimacy is open for all of us until we die, basically, mm. and, you know, that we would like to be close to someone. And we need to sort of find some statistics around that. It's often quite difficult. We used to sort of talk about explain what a dirty old man or a dirty old woman was. And it was quite interesting what people used to say because they had much more of a picture of a dirty old man than a dirty old woman. I think the other thing to, to add about that is about um, the cultural background of a lot of staff working in residential aged care. And so this can be a really confronting and challenging topic for them to, to have to address. Um, so that, that's just another reason to, to make sure that they're you know, given the, the right support that they need in order to be able to do their job. 
most of us don't talk about our sexual lives to other people, particularly, and maybe just your partner, that's who it might be. So when we go out and do education, often people, as Linda said, haven't had education in this area before and haven't really talked about it much with other people. And sometimes we ask people, we'll interview people and we say, you know, do you think that older people have the right to express their sexuality and intimacy? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then when you, as like Linda had the scenario, but then when you sort of develop and, you know, introduce some scenarios, like for example, an older woman who may have been in a marriage relationship, her husband dies, she moves into the residential care facility and her family think, well, she was always faithful to dad, she would never do this. And if she's got a bit of cognitive impairment, this is not her talking. This is not her wanting this because her previous life, she was faithful for dad, with, for, you know, with dad for 70 or 60 or 70 years. So it's interesting. I mean, it does introduce a lot of things around people's own personal morals and values in this area. And because we don't talk about it, like we don't talk about death and dying very much either as a society. And then you throw in, as you've been talking and you've had on this podcast before, around ageism. It's a mix, turbulent mix. So tell me about the future. We're really interested in talking to people about their experiences, so staff but also residents and families and especially people with dementia and their families and we'd, we'd like to learn more about how we, the experiences of uh, LGBTIQ community and we're scoping projects at the moment and if you're keen in being involved, please register your interest on our website we mentioned earlier about talking to baby boomers and there because I think baby boomers have got high expectations of all sorts of things not not just around whether they're going to be able to express themselves sexually or you know an intimacy in aged care but a lot of things so we might that might be another thing that we'd be doing in the future is to actually talk to older people still living in the community and what their expectations will be around this area in aged care. Linda if uh, your life choices listeners want to find you or learn more where do they go? Our website is quite long, so it's probably easiest just to Google the acronym of the Australian Centre for Evidence-Based Aged Care, and that acronym is A-C-E-B-A-C, and we're at La Trobe University. So Google ACEBAC, A-C-E-B-A-C, and that website will have a, a link that you can subscribe to. What will people find there apart from this wonderful survey? We've actually got a whole lot of other resources as well around family-staff relationships, around person-centred care, evidence-based practices in clinical areas for aged care. So we've developed surveys, consumer booklets. We've got another consumer booklet around everyday decision-making in aged care, and that's for actually personal care workers in aged care. We also run a lot of education that you'll be able to see if you... So if you go to ASABAC, as Linda just said, and there's a whole lot of different tabs and you'll find what we do. And just a reminder that that consumer booklet, Sexuality and People in Residential Aged Care Facilities, a guide for partners and families, is available on that ASABAC website, which is? A-C-E-B-A-C. So the booklet can be downloaded directly from the website, but if you actually, because it's much nicer when it's printed in a little A5 booklet, and you can order them for very minimal cost from us as well if you want the you know proper published version, but it is available to download straight from the website. Well, I hope you found this interview today to be as interesting uh, to you as it has been to me. And I'd like to thank very much Dr. Linda McAuliffe and Professor Deirdre Featherston-Hall. Also, I'd like to thank uh, Courtney Carthy and the media communications team here at La Trobe University for their assistance and willingness to assist in the interview. And until next time, this is me, John Deek, saying stay well, stay happy and stay with your life choices. 